My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Again, with your Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know. If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So, who are we talking about today, Matt? Have you ever made a wish that's become true? Ever had your prayers answered? Or witnessed a sign that showed you the way through a storm? Could there be a ritual that if performed correctly, change your life forever here to share her experience with the right of abra melon and much more is amanda holstein with me mystic mark here on the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode with amanda holstein was really coming through heavy for me when i was in graduate school and I had an experience and I was laying in bed and I'm sure I was high. Like, I don't know. I, I don't think I was like totally fucked up, but I was going to sleep and I was in that like liminal space where it's like my body couldn't move, but I could, I could see and vision and there, there was like a button in my hand and I pushed the button and this like UFO like came to me in vision and there was this sense that like if i push the button again they were gonna come get me and i was totally paralyzed and i was like no i choose not like i choose no i choose no and so i like i don't know like clenched my eyes or something like and was able to like get out of it but there was that that turn in the road that fork in the road where it was like i could just i could i could choose to be abducted or i could choose no and i chose no (laughs) My name is Amanda Holstein. I'm a former stand-up comedian turned mystic magician type person. I always had an interest in spirituality. 
from the time I was growing up. Like I grew up in a Christian family. And over time, it just didn't seem to work as well for me anymore. I think I needed to explore life because I was so religious growing up that it was almost like I needed to go out into the world and like go learn some things. And so I got married when I was like 19 and divorced by 23 and went to community college because I dropped out of high school. And so started going to community college and then ended up getting a divorce and transferring to Columbia University where I studied philosophy. So that was sort of my transition from a super religious background to more like a general pursuit of like, what is truth or what is wisdom? And then started doing stand-up comedy when I graduated. There's actually like a really like a lot of overlap between philosophy and comedy and the way that you formulate a joke is similar to the way that you would formulate like a logical argument is like you have your premises and then you have your conclusion or you have your setup and then your punchline. And then throughout that time, I was in therapy and started, you know, experimenting with drugs. And my therapist had, she had actually studied under Timothy Leary whenever she was at Harvard. And so even though she was very professional and never exclusively told me you know, you should take psychedelics and do therapy. Like she was always interested whenever I did. And so that really opened up to me the new mystical path of integrating the development of the self and the integration of the shadow with the use of psychedelics. <clears throat> and then, so I began to explore a more mystical spiritual path. And then the drugs were sort of like took over in a lot of ways. And so eventually I kind of heard this calling to do magic. And then it was like this weird mix where it was like I couldn't really do magic and the drugs at the same time because I needed to have a clear mind. So I underwent the ride of Abramelin when my life seemed like it was totally falling apart. And then went through the process of bonding with my holy guardian angel, who then told me to get clean. And actually today, August 28th, I have 18 months in recovery from drugs. And I, this is, I'm like not anti-drug at all. It was really just out of necessity. It was like I had to get off drugs. It's not like I really wanted to per se. But doing that has helped me in my magical path to be able to have a clear mind and not be totally overwhelmed by these powers. The last thing I'll say about that for this intro is that the drugs, they lift the barrier between us and the spirit world, which can help put us in tune, but it also can be really dangerous if one is working with spirit that like to remove the safeguards can be really overwhelming to the magician. And so it's been interesting that it's actually been a protective measure in my path to not be like summoning demons on LSD. <laughs> so as fun as that was, it becomes detrimental over time. So. Wow. Wow. That's exciting. <laughs> and I'm interested in learning more about that. But first, I have a few questions about your intro. And thank you, Amanda, for joining us here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm wondering when you were, you know, in this early years of your life, very spiritual, as you put it, 
Was it about the community? Did your family encourage this? Was this just second nature to you? Like, what were your thoughts about the world at that point in time? It was it was merely through the lens of Christianity and, and now it's sort of expanded? Or would you say that you're you're totally discarding the way you saw the world previously and now you see the world differently? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I see my upbringing as... I, I believe personally that we choose this path and we choose our birth charts and we choose our life before we come here. So I think I chose this life so that I did have that firm foundation and some type of religious structure so that then it would inform my path later. And so there was this sense of it being forced upon me by my family, but it also was forced upon my brother and he didn't choose the path. And so I very much leaned into it. And there's like early memories of me, like, you know, writing letters to my pastor and saying like, I love God. And, you know, like I was really interested in theology and I was very much like willingly interested in the truth. And so that has been sort of my life is like, what is truth and what is wisdom? And finding that in the Christian faith, and this is like no disparagement to the Christian faith because I still use the Bible a lot in the work that I do. I, I use the Psalms can be used magically. I use those a lot in my workings, <clears throat> but I had actually developed an eating disorder when I was 17 years old from a fast. And so I was fasting to get closer to God and ended up developing this eating disorder because I come from a family of addiction, a lot of drug addicts and alcoholics in my family. And so it was almost like that was like my time was like, okay, now it's time for my own like iteration of this family trauma and the family dis-ease. It came out in the form of body image things. And then it was like I was praying for God to remove the eating disorder from me, and it didn't happen. And so in a way, I had lost my faith in that structure because it wasn't working for me anymore. And it's not that I completely disavowed the idea of a higher power. I just thought, well, maybe there's a greater God than that God. Like maybe there's something greater that's not necessarily within that particular faith. And then there was also the the being a woman in a Southern Baptist church where I wanted to be a pastor and was very much told like that I could not be because a woman either marries a pastor, marries a youth pastor, or teaches Sunday school. And all of those are noble things to do, but that was not what I was interested in doing. <clears throat> so it was, the, it was the eating disorder along with the politics of the organized religion proper that led me <clears throat> to expand and explore beyond that. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you, you shared that. I was curious to, to know if there are any aspects of mysticism in the community that you grew up in. Cause I know there are certain styles or denominations of Christianity that have very mystical aspects to them. Were there any people in your community that did anything that resembles what you do now? People who maybe like read palms or, or any other sorts of divination, or was that all considered, you know, no, no, just read the Bible and, and pray to God. That's it. Like how, how strict were people in your community? There was, a, there was definitely a sense of strictness. The satanic panic was still 
going on at the time. You know, it was like the late nineties, but there was still this sense of like, don't listen to this music, like at the crossroads and like you sell your soul to the devil kind of thing. But then there was also the other aspect where even though I grew up in the Southern Baptist church, I went to a Pentecostal junior high, like from fifth grade to eighth grade, I went to a Christian school that was based from a Pentecostal church where they speak in tongues and very much believe in, you know, anointing and the power of prayer and the laying on of hands. And I had witnessed times of healing in my own life where through prayer and the laying on of hands, I had seen people raised from the dead and I had seen people healed through the power of faith. And so that's an aspect that still carries through into my practice now. But the, like, I mean, my, my mom doesn't know that I read tarot. She does you know, like I find the common ground to relate with her, like to speak that language. But to her, there's very much this, like, that's satanic, right? It's like anything that's like not within the structure of the Bible. And it's interesting because I had I, I have a soft place in my heart for the Orthodox Church, and one of my good friends from I went to graduate school at Rice University for to study mysticism, and I ended up dropping out. But one of my friends from that program, he ended up converting to Orthodox, like Greek Orthodox, and so I was like, "Well, let me try that. Seems kind of cool. I like the magic and the structure behind the Orthodox Church of the incense and the confessions." And so I went to one out here in West Texas, an Orthodox Church, and I think the priest knew something was up with me because the sermon that he gave that day was from the Book of Acts, where. There was a woman who practiced divination and the apostles laid hands on her and cast out her demons. And so I, I was like, that doesn't seem like a coincidence that I'm, you know, here and that he's being like, we don't take our, we don't take witches into this church. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> that yeah. doesn't seem like that was a routine reading, huh? <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. I, I grew up with Catholic family and. It's interesting on the East Coast, we don't have the same emphasis on religion in the family. I mean, we do Christmas and Easter and all that stuff, but there there was this lackadaisical sense to it where it was like, well, of course we believe in God, but don't take it too seriously, you know? Whereas my impression from your upbringing is like complete opposite. If, I, if I'm assuming things, maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but it feels like, you know, there was a, a sort of daily presence of this aspect it, it, like this is a daily part of your life whereas for someone like myself growing up on the east coast it's like we only thought about it on sundays and holidays you know is that true yeah there is very much the emphasis on like a daily devotional practice and not everybody takes that on but i took that very seriously and i found an old photo of me from maybe I was 11 or 12 years old the other day where I was wearing this Christian shirt that said like property of the alpha and the omega. And it really resonated with me of like that. This is like part of my, like my soul is like here for this very like spiritual reason. And that even from the beginning, that's like, I mean, my notion of God and of the divine is much different. Like now I believe that we, I, I 
do believe, in fact, that we all have the spark of the divine and that, in fact, everything is God, which is a bit of a controversial statement when we consider things like the Holocaust and evil. But I guess I'm a radical in that way that I believe that like God is either everything or God is nothing. And then God is everything in the nothing and everything that comes from the nothing. And so then that's where the mystical sort of, you can't rationally explain the thing in a logical argument. Agreed. I I see the world and divinity in a similar way. And I think it takes its course through many paths, right? Like, unfortunately, some people stay in that box that they are born into, but clearly you've evolved past that. So was comedy essential to that? What what do you think like pushed? Cause you, you said you were getting into comedy. I know in the comedy world, people are loose with drugs and psychedelics and things like that. So I'm sure that probably was around and present. Was that around the time that you started trying these new things and, and maybe adapting your old beliefs with some new experiences? Yeah, I love doing comedy and I love that there's that rebellious aspect of it. But where somebody that's, you know, if I may say like Louis C.K., who is such a comedic genius that can really get you to laugh about something that you never thought that you would laugh about. Like I had my mom was over once and we were watching Louis and she was laughing at it. And I'm like, he's so brilliant in the way that he guides you along this path to all of a sudden, then you're laughing and in agreement with something that you normally wouldn't. And so there's sort of like that mystical kind of like aspect of it, of the like, it's not clearly black and white in terms of morality, in terms of, yeah, we'll just say immorality. And I think it was a really valuable experience for me to have to do stand up because I needed to break out of that mold and see that there would still be space for me and that the comedy world allowed me to experiment with drugs and psychedelics and be able to be accepted in this community and also to have fun. Like I love having fun. And so doing comedy was like, just every night you can go out and make people laugh and fucking party. And like doing that in New York city was in my twenties was like the best. And so I am very grateful for that experience. And I know that I, you know, in terms of astrology, my birth chart, right. is like that I have a gift of like speaking. So whether it's like through comedy or through my podcast, which I'll plug now, it's called A Thousand Serious Moves. It's an occasionally comedic podcast about spirituality. And so I, it just was like this beautiful experience for me to have of being able to just like party and enjoy life. Like that to me is God too. Like that is spiritual too. It's all just an experience rather than looking at it as like doing blow from a stranger on, you know, in Greenwich village as like, I don't think that that's morally wrong. It's just an experience. Right. Right. And there are many, many different roads that we take to have these experiences that, you know, get us closer, but you know, with all things they it could be misused just as easily as they could be used. And, and yeah, I know that using herbs in their proper, proper way, 
is something that you've practiced quite a bit. So I want to get to that, but what were your drug experiences like in New York City? I mean, because it sounds to me like they're a little like more emphasis on party. Did you have like any transformative experiences there? I mean, the Hudson River is a incredibly powerful source of water. New York City is placed in a really interesting area. Any synchronicities that occurred there? Totally. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so the first time that I ever took acid, I had been in therapy twice a week for two years before I ever took this psychedelic. And I finally, with the help of marijuana, was able to get off of, I had been on Zoloft for depression and been on Xanax for anxiety. And so with the help of being in therapy and marijuana, I was able to get off those prescription pills. And so once I was off the prescription, then I was able to dive more into the psychedelic interest, I guess, because the SSRIs can come can affect the trip in a negative way or like block you from having a trip. So when I had gotten off the SSRIs and I had this tab of acid, it was like a Wednesday during the summer and I took off work early and was like, fuck it, I'm just going to take it. And so I like put the tab under my tongue as I'm like on the train going back up. I lived in Washington. I lived in Inwood at the time, like Washington Heights, the very top of Manhattan. And then everyone always talks about like going in nature on psychedelics, right? So I was like, well, I lived about half a mile from there was like a pier, like a little beach and a little pier at the tip of Manhattan. It's a Dominican neighborhood. <clears throat> and so I was like, well, let me go to the little beach area with my dog and see what happens. And so then I go and there's like this group of older Dominican men there and I'm not really very aware of my environment at the time because I had never had like a huge awakening experience. So I wasn't totally like just paying attention to other people. And so I'm like sitting there on the beach and then there's one of the men starts feeding my dog bread. And then I start to feel the LSD come in. And then I'm like thinking to myself, like, that's too much bread. Like my dog is a small, my dog is a small dog. And I'm like, I'm like, that's too much bread. Like I tell the guy, like I open up the conversation and say like, that's too much bread. And then all of a sudden I look around and then they're like playing this music and then they light a blunt and they start passing it around. And, and I'm starting to become aware of like the vibe and feel like I definitely need to like hit the blunt like let them know i'm not a cop or whatever like hey i'm and also i love weed i still love weed i just don't smoke it today today i'm not smoking it but i still love it it's like so so i'm like fuck yeah so i like hit the blunt and then my trip just like and then one of the dominican men this sounds like a not spiritual experience but it, it is i'll keep going so one of the men asks me to dance so i start dancing with him and then we sit down and then another man like shows me a photo of his bait of his grandchild or his child and i see the baby and i it's i see it as a snowflake and then i start to get really emotional about like how we're all like these very snowflake but like in a very special like glowing like we are all these like beautiful like iterations of the divine and so i start to get emotional i start to cry and then one of the men sitting on a bucket 
has a tattoo of the Statue of Liberty that has a skull for the face. And then I see the skull, like I see it and I'm like, oh, these guys are drug dealers. And I'm like trying to trip. And then he's like, not having me crying. He's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, I'm, I said, I'm on acid. I'm going, I'm going. And so then I'm like, this like the first time I become like aware of a vibe where I'm like, all of a sudden I'm seeing the reality of the situation. And so then I gather my dog and all my things. And then outside the gate, there's like all these people lined up that are like waiting to buy fucking weed or drugs. And they were like waiting for me to leave basically. And so I leave and then I'm walking back home and I start getting so emotional. Like it's like everything I had been working on in therapy was like coming to the surface of like all the like trauma of growing up in an alcoholic and addict family, all the like codependency. And then I just start bawling and I'm like trying to walk home and it's like a journey, right? It's like a journey of the soul to like make it home, you know? So then I get home and I just start journaling and I'm just like, that's why I do this. That's why I do these things. Like the connection of like the inner child with like the current self, it was like the bonding of the fragmented self was finally coming together. And I definitely attribute a lot of that to the work I had been doing in therapy helped to give me that language to be able to make that integration and so, you know, I called my therapist, I was on acid, I called a bunch of people, but that was like the first time I took acid and the first like hugely like transformative, like healing, healing trip. I mean, I have so many other trip stories now, too. I love this though. And I had a feeling that it was going to take a negative twist. I'm glad to hear that you, you got out of there safely. Um, what did your therapist say when you called her up and, and, you know, I mean, don't, it's, say as much as you're willing but you know you sound it sounds like your therapist is pretty cool did she have some interesting wisdom to share while you're in that state of mind she really was just accepting and like held space for me mm. and so rather than like making me feel judged which was like super important for me because i had grown up in that really fundamentalist background so even though i got a lot of positive things from that there was also this sense of like judgment and fear and like doing the wrong thing and so my therapist just really opened up that accepting and loving space for me to be able to say those things and be myself and not feel judged if that makes sense that makes sense yeah no and that falls in line with something i was listening to just yesterday actually uh, about how they take care of people at Burning Man who are paranoid because a lot of people at Burning Man are these like festivals they'll start to feel really paranoid and you know accuse their campmates of stuff and instead of like hitting the person with like a logical explanation which you know most people would be just instinctually like no that's not gonna happen which only generates more paranoia they sort of counteract it by saying like oh wow I'm, I'm really sorry that that's happening to you tell me more which diffuses the situation rather than making the person feel judged or like they're they're you know doing something wrong so yeah I, I like that kind of insight and this woman sounds like a, a very 
good person to have in your cell phone, you know, if you're going <laughs> to be experiencing those kind of things, especially in New York City. My sister lived there for a few years and it could be chaotic in New York City. I've only I don't think I've ever done psychedelics in New York City unless I've forgotten, God forbid, but I have done psychedelics in Connecticut and we have our own cities and some of them can be a little shady, but yeah, it, it's definitely set and setting are, are the most important and being in nature is, is definitely the best as long as it's uh, controlled because there's a lot of creeps out there in the woods you know you got to be careful but yeah i'm curious about your situation now and is it marfa texas where you're located so uh -huh. marfa is apparently one of the darkest places in the united states in the sense that the light pollution is very low so I hear people travel there to see the new moon and witness all sorts of amazing, you know, astronomical sights. And have you done any psychedelics in Marfa? Have you had any experiences there in that like lack of light pollution? I'm sure it'd be a big contrast to, to New York City. I had done psychedelics in Marfa when I lived here six or seven years ago, but I haven't done them since I moved back. When I moved back last year, I had already gotten clean, and so I haven't yet. Or like, I mean, maybe I will later in the future. But when I had done them in the past, I would just I would love I, what I would do is I would ended up I would take psychedelics and do art, and so. Sometimes I would go out into nature, but when I did them here in the past, it was like I would sit down, do take the mushrooms, and then work on art. But Marfa itself is a very psychedelic, interesting place. We have, you know, we have the dark sky preserved. So it's like literally city ordinances of like even the street lamps have to be like very, very dim. So that like when I go out into the courtyard where I live, I can look up and I can see the Milky Way just like by the naked eye. And we do have these, they're called the Marfa mystery lights. And so there are these glowing orbs that come out at night that people still don't really know what they are. There have been like scientists that come out in here and research, but they're like these green and red and like yellow glowing orbs that will just like appear. And then they like shoot around the sky and there's like a viewing lights area. Like people come out here just to see the Marfa mystery lights. Yeah, that sounds like a great place to do mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I know that place i've been there making art with mushrooms and and lsd even and there could be a lot of transformative life deconstruction and then reconstruction so what was that like were you at a point with psychedelics where you were you using them as a tool for transformation or were you just at the point where you were experimenting like what what was the extent of your use of of psychedelics well it got to a point where i was doing them all the time and just like when i was in grad school and that's one reason i ended up dropping out of graduate school is because the drug use was so bad so it was like it wasn't just psychedelics. It was like just taking copious amounts of Adderall, shit tons of psychedelics, like being up for like three days. And whether it was like working on schoolwork or when I dropped out, like working on art, 
and where it was starting to have physical side effects, where it was like my body started to hurt. And like, you know, I, I wasn't in tune with the cycles of the sun. Right. And so there started to be like, like there's no free lunch. Right. So it's like, yeah, I can have those experiences and do that. But then like my wrist is going to start hurting because I've held a blade in my hand for like the past 12 hours, you know? And so, <clears throat> you know, and then also I was still doing comedy at the time. So it was like, shit tons of Adderall uh, on like five tabs of LSD, then go to the comedy show, start drinking, doing cocaine, you know, snorting Xanax to go to sleep. Like, you know, it got to that point. And then that was whenever I started, I heard about the Rite of Abermelon, where it was that it was like this magical process to bond with the holy guardian angel that one should only undergo this process when one has tried everything else and nothing else has worked. And it seemed like that for me. It seemed like with the drugs, I was like hitting a wall where I wasn't able to like move forward where it was like, I could only have like this experience, but I wanted to know like the mysteries. Like I wanted to know like how magic works. And I had, I love DMT. Like DMT is like my favorite drug, right? So I had a vape pen of DMT. It was like, so you could just, you could just keep hitting it. Right. So, so I was like, I want to, like, I want that God experience all the time. And so I had the vape pen and I kept hitting it, kept hitting it. And then got to a point where I saw like an animal headed Egyptian God that was standing at a gate. And it was like, basically like, you shall not pass. And it like snapped me back into reality where reality became two dimensional. And I couldn't like, you know, DMT lasts like 15 minutes. Right. And it was like, it wasn't going away. It was like, everything was like paper thin, like life was like paper thin. And I like calling for my boyfriend and we like go for a walk and I take a bath and I'm just like not working. And I'm like, I'm like, felt like the the aliens were in control and that like I couldn't and that I wasn't in charge of my life and was like in this like complete like state of desperation and crisis where I felt totally powerless and felt like I wasn't in control of my own life and so after a couple of days of that I called this like man who was the husband of a comedian friend of mine who was like he had always been talking about like math and aliens. And he, like he was like the weirdo. And I was like, he's going to know how to help me. And so when I called him, I told him and he was like, it's both. And he's like, it's like the aliens are in control and you're also in control. And that helped give me like a broader perspective where it's like, I could finally breathe and not just feel like I was totally at the whims of the archons. And so then now I see that experience was that like, I could only get so far with the psychedelics and the way that I was using them that at the end of the day, I still needed to do the actual spiritual work that the psychedelic was substituting. And so it's like, I still needed to like meditate 
I needed to practice like visionary work. I needed to like have a discipline. Like I, that notion of discipline was totally out of my life. And so it was like, yes, the psychedelics can help, but I also still needed to like do the actual work that I like wasn't wanting to do. I was trying to take like the lazy way out and I couldn't make it past a certain point just with the psychedelics alone. Wow. Yeah. And that's great advice for really anyone, whether or not they've, they've used psychedelics, like those three things that you just laid out there are incredibly important, you know, meditating, visualizing, and being disciplined about the goals that you want to set because, you know, so many people just let their energy go to other people, other people's karma. And, and until you realize that that's going on now, you mentioned the aliens, was this the, the, the first time you interacted with these beings like through DMT or had you experienced them with the help of other substances or even like in dreams? Like what's your, your relationship with aliens? Well, I was always interested in them. And so when I was going to Rice for graduate school, so within the religious studies department, they there's a dialogue about aliens. And so we read the UFO book by Carl Jung and, you know, Jeff Kripal is one of the professors there. And so there was a lot of that discussion. And so that was really coming through heavy for me when I was in graduate school. And I had an experience and I was laying in bed and I'm sure I was high. Like, I don't know. I don't think I was like totally fucked up, but I was going to sleep and I was in that like liminal space where it's like my body couldn't move, but I could, I could see and vision in there. There was like a button in my hand and I pushed the button and this like USO like came to me in vision. And there was this sense that like, if I push the button again, they were going to come get me. And I was totally paralyzed. And I was like, no, I choose not. Like, I choose no. I choose no. And so I like, I don't know, like clenched my eyes or something like and was able to like get out of it. But there was that that turn in the road, that fork in the road where it was like I could just I could sounds so funny. I could choose to be abducted or I could choose no. And I chose no. So I mean, that checks out with some of the recent stuff I've heard. We, we just had Ryan Musgrave Evans on Tinfoil Hat, and he was saying that they get your consent. And most times when people consent, they will wipe your memory of consenting. So that way, you know, you just don't even realize what's going on. And then if you do remember, you might not remember the fact that you consented. So you don't think that you consented. Right. So very wise for you to choose that. Yeah, I would not suggest the listeners choose to get abducted. If you're listening out there, don't try that one at home. But when it comes to the right of the Abramelin, did you, cause you began to explain that, but then we went into DMT realm. Were you using DMT to supplement that? Or was the right of the Abramelin like your final step? Like, okay, I'm done with all the psychedelics. I'm done with the drugs. I got to try this right. Well, I knew, so it's a six month purification process. And so I didn't know it was going to come out on the other side. And so I knew that for six months, I was going to need to be clean. And so I worked with Aaron Leach, who's a ceremonial magician. He practices Solomonic and Enochian magic. And he 
underwent abromelin in the 90s. And so he helped me through the process. And I had asked him about using drugs. And he was like, he's like, it's better if you don't. And then, you know, you can always come back to it later. And so I always love that idea of like, in terms of like drugs, like, because as a self-identified drug addict is like, that's like maybe in the future, right? So, so when I went through the process of abromelin, it was six months without any drugs. It's like, which what it is, is that there's morning and evening prayers. And then eventually you integrate a noon prayer and you're vegetarian for the six months. It's about getting your yourself in a cool state spiritually. So like, you don't want to get angry. You want to be very like calm and cool and almost kind of bored. You want the mind to like the old things to pass away. And then so that at the final process, the final seven days after the six months of purification, you're in a cool place to be able to have the holy guardian angel bonded to your crown. And then, and then the holy guardian angel then guides your life. And so it's a, it's a process of death and rebirth. So Aaron had told me, he's like, your life is going to change completely when you bond with the guardian angel. Like she's going to clear out things that don't need to be there anymore and then guide you on the path towards your true will. And so after I went through that right, then it was like, I needed to leave my boyfriend at the time. It was like my whole life fell apart and it was like, and then 2020 hit. And so it was like, it just totally went alongside this like, no more of the old. And then now we're healing. Now we're like healing deeper spiritual trauma. And so then I joined my holy guardian angel had me join Al-Anon, which is a 12 step program for friends and family of alcoholics. And so that has been a process of like healing codependency and learning where I stop and where you begin and learning to be like an autonomous person and let other people have their own autonomy. And then I, so when 2020 hit, I had just bonded with my guardian angel and I had done a tarot reading of like, how am I going to be safe during this pandemic? Because I was living in Houston at the time. And it was like, move, you need to. So I got a cabin in the woods of East Texas. I was like on an acre of land. I was like, I'm going to ride it out and collect my unemployment. And just like, and I was still smoking weed at the time. So after, after I completed Abermelon, I picked back up weed like that. I was like, fuck yeah, of course. And then eventually started growing my own mushrooms. And so I was in recovery for codependency, but not for drugs. And so I was grow started growing my own mushrooms. And I mean, you know, what are you going to not eat a full ounce? You know what I mean? It's like, if they're there, like, why not? And so I did in, it was January of 2021. And, you know, we're in the midst of like an apocalypse. And so big apocalyptic vibes in the one ounce trip <laughs> and, you know, had just like that experience was like I was on mushrooms and the mushrooms drove me through my body to an Alcoholics Anonymous clubhouse. And I was like, I need help. And like saying, I was like, I need fucking help. And then nobody was at the clubhouse. 
And then I ended up at like this recovery center for like, it was East Texas. So it's mostly people who were recovering from meth. So I go to like another recovery clubhouse and then I'm like not wanting to tell them that I'm on drugs. And I eventually like gather my bearings and leave. And that's a long story, but I ended up back home and thought that that was just a fluke. I was like, that was, I just took too many mushrooms, right? So then as a true drug addict, then like a week later, I was like, let me try it again, you know? And so then I tried it again and I like envision like met father time and like very much like with the sickle and the like cloak and felt like I had reached like to the far ends of like Saturn, right? Like the far ends of the universe. And there was this sense of like that this is not a first time that this has happened, but the sense that like I'm creating this, I'm creating this reality for myself. Um, but I felt like the drugs were totally in control, like the mushrooms were totally in control and like I needed to get them out of my body because I couldn't handle the negative energy that I was sensing in the universe. It was like big apocalypse vibes, like big, like the end of the world, like shit is not good right now. And so I went to the bathroom to throw up the mushrooms and I couldn't get off the bathroom floor. And I had a vision of this the serpent, like the Ouroboros and like, which now I also call my disease. Like personally, as somebody in recovery and a mystic, I see the Ouroboros as like the disease of addiction that keeps me trapped. And I saw it in vision and it's like hissing at me and telling me to kill myself. And it's telling me that like, I, you know, I live in Texas, I have a gun, you know, it's like, get your gun, like kill your dog. It's like, real so fucking dark and i'm like tapping out on the bathroom floor and i'm like calling for my guardian angel and i'm like fucking help you know like fucking help and like none of my magical like incantation like i was totally powerless like i couldn't even do like any incantation to like banish this serpent because it's the serpent you know like no amount of like psalm 91 is gonna like make this thing go away and so after that traumatic trip i had been instructed that maybe i'm a drug addict and that maybe i needed to go and join a 12-step program and so all the signs had been pointing in that way. And so then that was like the next layer of my holy guardian angel, like pulling the rug out from under me and being like, we need to do things like in a different way now. And I'll just say this is that like being in recovery is that it offers me the opportunity to help other people in a way that I wasn't able to whenever I was using drugs. And it also adds credibility to the work that I do because then you can't just dismiss me as a drug addict it's like no 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 I've been clean and so and I practice spiritual principles and I live an upright life and so then that integrity is like you can't fuck with me then like when I'm in my integrity like you can't knock me over so agreed yeah and 
I would say you make a great case for yourself regardless of your sobriety. And I, I am very happy to hear that. I think that's really honorable. And, and I hope that inspires people out there who might be struggling with it themselves, because I know a lot of people can get attracted to this type of material from a dark place. And, you know, the rights of the Abramelin from, you know, an outward looking in perspective, it seems like a satanic thing. Oh, this girl did the rights of the Abramelin. Oh, no. But what it actually is, is you uniting with your source. I mean, that's how I would explain it in, in very simple terms, right? Like we all have a part of ourselves that's in this higher fifth dimensional world or however you want to term it heaven or however and a holy guardian angel is is you essentially before you were born or when you pass away it's a part of you it's this type of consciousness that exists with you but also separate from you and will not intervene unless you ask it to so i've always been very curious about this and i attempted it myself when i was younger but I really don't think that I was successful in in doing so, but uh, but I have reached a point where I'm like, okay, well, I think I definitely can call myself Mystic Mark, but I wouldn't say that I'm 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 blended with my holy guardian angel quite yet. I, but well, Tara says I, I'm united with my divine feminine aspects, so <laughs> that's what I'm going for. Okay, well, do you want do you want to hop on the mic? I'll turn your mic up. Tara's here. Hi, Tara. Hi. I wish I jumped in from the beginning, honestly, because I've, I've resonated with everything that you've been saying. And as I've been sitting here, I had this experience of that, that not a very pleasant one, because I've been str struggling a lot lately with like insecurity and like the serpent to put it in an archetype that yeah that's that serious serpent that just won't go away and uh, but there, there's been moments where my holy guardian angel or or you know I see it as spirit in many forms I would pray to and pray f for an opportunity to open up to kind of express and release like my soul because it's felt like the soul's been sort of trapped in a way and uh, like from expression and because at any time I would try to create or the, that serpent would just come up and <laughs> basically and 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 I, I just couldn't and but so I've been having these opportunities open up but it consistently seemed to misread them and or the serpent comes up just before I can before I can you know embrace them and like <clears throat> that just kind of happened as we we're sitting here because I didn't plan to sit here and 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 be on it I was just gonna I don't know I just came over here and sat down but yeah everything that you've been saying from the beginning it just felt like like I haven't like it just it was like a, 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 your, your, your essence and your personality and your femininity kind of sparked something in me. And I just, I mean, my own, I suppose. And I just been 
I've like been sitting here repressing it, I guess. And now it's kind of not, not showing up like it was, but uh, yeah. So that's, I want to ask her a question and maybe, or unless you have something to respond to that, Amanda. Have you you ever had an experience where you're creating your own reality, right? And, and, and our thoughts and feelings go into doing that. And, and every moment, it's like every moment, every choice that you make in every moment changes the, the, the outcome did you ever notice like how quickly something can change in a moment I guess yeah so one technique that I use a lot is the power of positive thinking which doesn't just solve everything but on a daily basis I look at my practice as tuning myself like an instrument And so when I wake up in the morning, yes, thank you for sharing that with me, by the way, too. When I wake up in the morning, before I even get out of bed, I start praying. And I have different prayers that I say on different days, like it just depends. And sometimes those prayers are things like, today is my fucking day. I choose to have a good day. I am the luckiest person I know. I am healthy, wealthy, and wise. I am a vessel for the divine. The universe is for me. And so is everything else. The universe conspires in my favor. And shout out to Robert Anton Wilson, things work out even better than I planned. And that's these are some of my mantras, right? So that's like a very practical thing that I do. And another thing that was resonating with me on what you were saying about the divine feminine and the serpent is I have found that part of the mysteries of the Virgin Mary or however you would work with the divine feminine, to me, she comes out as the Virgin of Guadalupe. She takes many different forms, not just in the form of Mary, but however the divine feminine comes out for you is that there's something about working with her that helps tame the serpent. And so in thinking about the Gnostic myth of Sophia catching her reflection, creating the Galdebaos, who we can see as the serpent of the Ouroboros who keeps us trapped, there's something about working with the divine feminine that's part of the mysteries of of being able to tame that serpent because we can never totally destroy it, nor should we really even want to because it's a natural force. Like the force of chaos is just a natural force, but thinking of it as like being the snake charmer and how can I like stand guard and navigate when knowing that this thing is always going to be there. And then the other thing that I'll say about that is that there's a, There's an Egyptian book that's called the Book of Gates. It's a funerary text. And it's the process of Osiris going into the underworld in order to become one justified. And so we are Osiris traveling through the underworld, going through trials. And there's lots of different serpents that he he interacts with. There's some that are beneficial. There's some that are neutral. And then there's some that are to destroy. And at 
towards the end of the book, there's a scene where there's the great serpent apep of chaos that we can never destroy, but that is being held down by ropes by our predecessors, our teachers, and our ancestors. And so integrating and working with our ancestors and learning to reach out to for help from teachers, therapists, if someone's in recovery, their sponsor, like we can't do it alone. We need support of others to help hold down that serpent for us too. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Well said. Any, you want to follow up with a question? So I have a question. So you mentioned earlier, you know, we, that you, you can't use Psalm 91 to get yourself out of every situation, but we can use the Psalms in a sort of magical way. And, and I want to expand on that because I think a lot of people get hung up thinking that well, the Bible says that you can't practice this stuff, and if it's a cult, then it's bad. And But there are mystical ways to use the Bible, and this has been going on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So how do you use the Psalms? Is it an unconventional way, or do people use the Psalms in the same way in a church? Well, yes, and so when you go into especially like an Orthodox or a Catholic church, they'll be reciting certain Psalms. And if you're like in the know magically, you'll hear these certain, you're like, these are the seven penential Psalms. Like, so there's seven Psalms that we can recite for like penance, but it's less about, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm a horrible person. And more about cleansing our spirit body and cleansing our aura. And so as we are saying these Psalms, that it's like cleansing us from the inside out and clearing away like the negative thought forms that come in. And so the church churches use them in those ways. A lot of the Protestant churches, like the mystery traditions have been kind of lost. And so they're more dogmatic and less magical, but I, there's a few different sources. So I actually compiled a book myself from a few different sources. You can go to my website. It's called marymarfa.com. And it's a magical Psalms book that's categorized. And so you can look in like, there's Psalms for healing and Psalms for protection, safety and travel to find favor with others. And so there's all different Psalms that will tell you different ways at a certain time or recite it three times or recite it one time. And so some of the sources I pulled from are the sixth and seventh books of Moses, the book of gold by David Rankine and Paul Harry Barron. And then there's even, I do a lot of hoodoo work. So part of that tradition, I have a godmother in Baltimore. Her name is Mama Eve. And so in hoodoo, they use the Psalms a lot for like candle magic or, you know, if you're taking a ritual bath. And so you can look in one of these Psalms books and say, okay, I'm doing a money spell. So what Psalms are good for attracting money? And then you can integrate the power of that. The Holy scripture just adds another layer of oomph to the workings because they've have been, there's the patterns and the inner context that are already set that have been passed down in the Psalms. Even there's like early, early writings of the Psalms where they've taken like older names of gods and like crossed them out and then written like newer names of gods into them. And so, and then studying Egyptian mythology, I see a lot of the patterns of like 
in the underworld texts or the funerary text and relations to the Psalms. So the patterns go beyond the religious dogma. We're just very gifted that they've even been preserved in the Holy Scripture itself. Yeah, that's really interesting. All right, we're going to take a quick sponsor break. Yes, we've got sponsors now. If you don't want to hear the sponsor reads on the show, sign up on Patreon. You get access to an RSS feed with all of our episodes, plus at least 50 to 100 bonus episodes of various different types, some with Juan and Chris, some by myself and others with guests. We also have the Synchro Wisdom Dialogue, but we will be reading sponsor ads on the show occasionally throughout the month from here on out until we get more supporters on the Patreon. So sign up on the Patreon today and you won't have to hear any ads, no interruptions to the conversation. Anyways, here's a word from Smile Brilliant. All right, we're going to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, Smile Brilliant, and tell you about a brand new offer right here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast that you might need to take advantage of because what you don't know is that every night you're at risk of cracking your enamel, and once you lose it, it's gone. It does not grow back. Every night, stress causes us to grind and clench our teeth at night. If you're, like me, a little bit stressed out, a night goes Guard could be the perfect solution to preserve your dental health. Clinching and grinding results in worn down tooth enamel, cracked teeth, chipped teeth, which can lead to infection. Not to mention sensitivity. So say goodbye to ice cream in the summer and hot soup in the winter. Your teeth are going to be too sensitive. So get ahead of that right now with Smile Brilliance offer exclusively for My Family Thinks I'm Crazy listeners. Use the promo code CRAZY, all capital letters, and you will get custom night guard from Smile Brilliant as low as $45 per guard. And reorders are as low as $25 per guard. Okay, you'll get 20% off. And of course, they've got whitening trays, whitening gels, electric toothbrushes, water flossers, and so much more. Smile Brilliant is owned and operated by dental professionals with over 30 years of experience. And the best part is everything is done online and delivered straight to your door. So no costly trips to the dentist. Thanks, Smile Brilliant. So use the promo code crazy and take back your dental health today. Let's get back to this interview. I came across something similar when I was looking into Amish folklore and Amish magic and I found a book of it's like an Amish grimoire and they have psalms in there and they say you know repeat this several times or repeat this phrase several times and they are more Protestant than I think I think they're Protestant but there might be some Baptist energy going on but I want to ask you about hoodoo so how does one get initiated did you just reach out to this godmother or did this synchronistically occur well i'll say is that hoodoo is a type of folk magic and so to use the word initiated is like it's because it's like anybody can practice hoodoo so it's not like you're now you're crowned to do this thing but i found mama e i'd always been interested in hoodoo and you know it's like you know, I'm white, you know, I know I have, you know, who doesn't have African in their blood, you know, and then I'm like, you know, just wanting to be culturally sensitive, right? But I had always been interested in hoodoo and uh, just kind of was practicing my own kind of forms of folk magic with a few other styles. 
And then I found Mama Eve on YouTube because I was looking for like how to make Florida water. She's this black woman from Baltimore and she had posted a video saying that she was going to open up the doors to welcome in some new godchildren. And I was like, I want to be one of her godchildren. And so I called her and she asked me a few questions and had me pray about it. And it was really my ancestors that opened up that door for me because I work with my ancestors regularly. And uh, and then she welcomed me into the family. And I thought it was like super easy, but apparently she only chose like two out of 33 people. So it was definitely like an honor and like, you know, ancestral like guidance of like, because how can I help people? Right. And hoodoo is like a very practical means to be able to like, if you need love, you know, you don't, sometimes you don't want them to spend like, an entire month preparing to call an, you know, an archangel or whatever, you know, sometimes you just need to do a working. Right. Right. There's a, there's a simple solution for, so take us through some of this, like, cause I know people hear hoodoo and they might think voodoo, they might think voodoo dolls, they might associate some crazy stuff with this, but it's interesting the way that these folk magics blend, right? You have this influence from Africa, coming here and sort of getting Christianized for lack of a better word. And, and the two sort of remain intact because like one is sort of subverting the other, right? Because essentially if they didn't blend it with Christianity, they would have been, you know, hung by the people who were superstitious back then, or at least that's the, the story we're told. So are there any darker aspects to hoodoo? Is that actually true or is that more just superstition carried over from that time period? Well, the first thing I'll address is that, yeah, people associate hoodoo with voodoo. Voodoo is a religion proper. And so they have, you know, a clergy and it's an organized religion. They do practice magic, but voodoo is more of this like Southern, you know, kind of folk magic blend of the you know, some African and the Christian and the Native American and working with roots and plants. And so, you know, to bring up the question of is it, does it integrate like a dark force of magic? I like to think of, you know, maybe defining what we mean by dark and then also right? Like, what is it to like influence another person? And this is more of a philosophical kind of debate than it is about getting to a particular answer. Because if I'm trying to change somebody's mind about something, right? Let's say somebody's a really negative person and I want them to be more positive. Somebody might make the argument that it's a dark form of magic because I'm influencing somebody else and I'm changing their mind. But do not, we already do this in our lives. Like, are not we already trying to influence other people with the way that we dress or our sense or the way that we carry ourselves? And so, yeah. And I've heard also that like love magic is a form, is like the darkest form of magic you can, you can do. But also like if somebody's in love and you're happy and in love is it really dark you know is it really bad is there really a clear bad like right and wrong you know these are just questions i'm putting on the floor right yeah right no i i 
debated this in my own mind at length for many years and i actually ruled out love magic at a certain point i said you know what i keep messing around with this love magic stuff is only bringing me messy relationships and funny enough a few years after i swore that off i met tara and we've had the most magical relationship that i have ever had with anyone in my life so it is interesting like the the law of attraction like the more you want something the less you get it i think that was more at play there rather than you know me using or not using love magic i think i was just misapplying the techniques i was learning about not understanding my own you know obstacles that were in my mind but yeah there is this sort of tricky situation when you want to help somebody you are sort of violating their free will but it, you know aren't we all here together in a community and and wouldn't they be grateful if they realized i helped them in this way but the problem is is with the observer effect i've found and maybe you found differently but please tell me do you think that there's a reason to keep your working secret right because you don't want other people's intentions or ideas sort of getting in the way so maybe you do a spell for your mother who doesn't believe in all this stuff like mine doesn't and it helps her in some way but you don't go and say well that was thanks to me ma you know help me you know pay me five bucks for that or something or however you would you know what are your thoughts on that secrecy and and magic yeah, I think it's really important to keep these things secret, you know, unless I have a client, you know, I I do magic for hire. I have clients that will hire me to help them. And so then they get like a general idea of what I'm doing. <clears throat> but in my own day-to-day -day life, like, <clears throat> you know, like if you go to my Instagram, like it's like, I don't post photos of altars. I don't post photos of workings, like I keep a lot of that on the DL because I think it makes it more effective to keep it secret. And then, you know, people put that evil eye on shit. Like, and sometimes it's people that are really close to you that will put the evil eye on a working and negate the working. And so there's many reasons that are beneficial to keep it quiet. And yeah, there's sometimes when I want to like say like, yes, you're welcome, you know, but that's practicing a spiritual principle of humility is like also you know, and then the principle of like silence and how that's like a really powerful tool to use and to gain power. And because it's like if I'm speaking it out loud, sometimes I'm giving some of the power away rather than like keeping it in a container. Right. Right. I, I agree. And I, I think that's very well thought out. And it's interesting, you know, taking people through magic must be, you know, magic for hire, so to speak. Like, it must get you into some funny situations. I mean, I could imagine if a the right person hires you, it will go exceedingly well. But if the person's not in the right mindset, is there anything that you tell people when you're coaching them through this to sort of get them in the right mindset to start thinking positively? Any like tips or tricks for how people can make this shift? Yeah, it's... It's a good idea to inform the client of how you're doing the working to show this, like, cause if it's a sound system, I found that when I explain it to the client, it helps establish their faith in the working. 
that like if it's something that okay this is going to be a nine-day process that i'm making this talisman for you and then i tell them kind of the basics of like i'm doing prayers and incense over it every morning at sunrise i'm going in i'm opening up my guardian angel's altar and then i'm going and i'm everything is ritually consecrated and i'll start speaking those things because i'm already doing things the right way by making sure everything is consecrated on the proper time that I'm calling in the proper forces. Like I'm very thorough in that. And so whenever I'm telling the client about the way that I'm doing the working, that's helping to establish their faith in the working. Though I know that my workings are gonna work regardless because I am so thorough. And then another thing is reminding them to keep the positive attitude. So if I'm doing working where somebody owes my client money, start envisioning that person paying you back. Start envisioning that they're on a payment plan and they're giving you 20 bucks a week. Like start imagining that anyway, because where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst of them also. And so the power of like, when there's two divine entities coming together that can really up the magic. Yeah. Wow. Loud motor in the background there. How important is timing when it comes to these workings? Like, you know, are you regularly keeping up with the positions of the planets and and doing things accordingly? Or are you more general than that? Like, how precise do you get with your timing? I try to be as precise as I can. You know, desperate times call for desperate measures. Some days it's just like, I got to do it and I'm going to just do it. But because I was originally trained in the Solomonic method, which from Aaron Leach, where I learned about the proper planetary timing and days and hours and aspects in the astrology and having everything ritually consecrated on a particular day and hour, that seems to add another layer of power to the magic. And so that's where I integrate the proper timing into the folk magic. And so, I mean, you know, there's just some years that's just like this year is like not a great year astrologically. Right. But so you just try to like best case scenario, just do the best that you can. Or I just try to do the best that I can with what I'm given. Mm. Now you mentioned earlier war, like this evil eye that people can put on things. Can I ask a question first? Yeah, go for it. With the, with the process And so that's like a structure for, do you think, is it for bringing our intuition to fruition? Like, is, is that what the process is? And, and is that like, so, so the process is like the structure and then the substance within the structure that's being made to make magic or make to have things come to fruition would, would that would you say that's intuition or is that confusing i see what you're saying i wouldn't call it intuition proper i work with spirits a lot and so those are usually the ones that i'm charging to do the work there are sometimes that i work in vision to manifest but i would say that like that aspect of visionary magic is a little bit because there's different types it's like that aspect of like visionary magic is a little bit different than like charging a particular angel or a spirit to go do this task for me. Oh, okay. Or to guide guide you towards a, a particular pathway, right? You know, like, so you charge the spirits to 
charge the spirits to send you a, a sign or a, an opportunity to let you know what direction you're headed or some, something like that? Yeah. So when I work with spirits, usually it's like for very practical things like money or love or protection. But when I work with my holy guardian angel, that's a lot of the spiritual development that I think that you're talking about. Like that's like guide me in wisdom, guide me in the redemption of my soul. Like, and that's why she ended up leading me to like 12 step recovery and like spiritual development. And then that also informs my magic because then I'm not doing dirty magic. I'm not doing imbalanced magic. Whenever my spirit and I'm on the like balanced, enlightened kind of path, then I'm making wiser decisions with the types of magic that I'm doing. Wow. Otherwise, willy nilly, that's kind of chaos magic. Yeah. And then, you know, who doesn't love a little chaos magic, but everything, <laughs> everything that I do, I have to get my guardian angel's permission. And so I open up her altar before I begin any type of magic. And so everything has to be get like her stamp of approval. Otherwise the magic's not going to work. Mm. Right. And I can see, you know, working with spirits, sobriety is probably very important, right? Because if you're leaving yourself open to, you know, interaction, which Tara's been sober for how long now? I mean, we used to smoke weed together. Now she's she never drank, really doesn't do anything. Like we've done mushrooms together once, but but yeah, yeah. So she's been sober for a while. I'm really proud of her. But me, I, I smoke weed and, and I feel like there might be a single plant spirit that I'm communing with, whether it's the tobacco or the cannabis, but like, I've never felt the, the sense that like there were other entities present. Could I be putting myself at risk for interacting with these spirits through just marijuana and tobacco? Do you think those are sort of, I shouldn't call it marijuana, cannabis and tobacco? <laughs> do you think, yeah. Do you think those are on the safer end of the spectrum or, or can I still be like, meddled with so to speak i think you're pretty safe like i i know that tobacco is actually very protective plant i i still smoke tobacco and tobacco is a very protective plant and so like actually if if one has been doing a lot of spirit work or tarot readings or like working in the inner worlds then tobacco can actually like set up a barrier of like protection. So like you'll see a lot of exorcists or like priests like smoking tobacco because it kind of sets up a protective barrier between like certain spirits. In terms of marijuana, like I find, you know, our, I, you know, I, I associate her with like the divine feminine. Like there's definitely like plenty of evidence of like priests to, you know, Ashura smoking marijuana and then also mushrooms being associated with the Virgin Mary. So there's definitely, you know, that sacred aspect to them. You know, I would say that if you feel safe doing it, you know, then you're, and you feel like you're productive and you're, you know, living your best flourishing life, you know, and then I think you're all right. Like, thank you. Yeah, no, I'm not worried. I just wanted to know your thoughts and i know you make this particular art you you said it's evil eye artwork and is that to ward off the evil eye because i think i might need that i need to put one back here for the podcast just in case you know you never know who could be listening 
Yeah, totally. It's it's really kind of, it's been around for like thousands of years, the evil eye, you know, talisman image. But just recently, it's like come out to me that's like, this is something that's like very much like resurfacing as like people really need this because there's so much hatred in the world right now that feels like layer up. Like I look at protection as like, you know, you're not going to just wear like a one piece of protection, right? And so like the evil eye is just like such an easy go-to like thing to wear or have around to just like keep the haters out because like they'll fuck up your magic. Like they'll like all of a sudden like there people are like they won't even consciously be sending you like jinxes and like trying to fuck up fuck you up but they're just jealous you know because they are coming from a wounded place and they haven't done their work and so then they're projecting their shadow onto you and like there's no need to have to take that on so just hanging yeah so i, I just recently started put, making more of the evil eye pieces i sold one recently but i have a couple more and some more in the works yeah keep people protected is this I, I think i'm imagining it's it's like a blue black sort of arrangement almost rectangular diamond shape and then a circle in the middle i see a lot yeah. of like stores with like middle eastern owners have them on the windows am i getting the right idea of what they are yeah yeah let me grab one i'll show you so oh Cool. So this is the, this is the evil eye proper, right? Oh, okay, cool. Instagram. Yes. And then like this is like one of my pieces of art, so it's like a new take on the evil eye. Oh um, wow! But yeah, Beautiful. I have some that are more like traditional, like this too. But yeah, so this is some of the stuff I've been working on, which is yeah. Wow. So, yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, thanks for showing us. I. I don't know why I said rectangle, but yeah, blue and, and black, it's always is distinct colors. Is there any like reasoning behind that other than it's like, you know, traditional use? Like, do those colors have like a spiritual meaning associated with them, why they're used? Well, the blue is definitely one of the most potent colors for keeping away evil. Like blue and red are the like go-to ones for driving away evil. Blue is also a very calming color. And so it kind of like, stills the waters of like the negativity coming and then the white of like the eye being like very purifying and then the the black of the eye being like going back into the outer darkness like it's like sending it back into the void okay yeah yeah i definitely want to put one of those we have dream catchers on our windows but i, I think we need a couple of those next time we see it i think synchronistically now that we've spoken about this we'll probably come across one yeah unless yeah. unless we get one from you of course i'm sure you have them available and we'll put those links in the description but when it comes to synchronicity any interesting sync stories that you have that have occurred i mean you've told us a few lately or told us a few this episode but have any happened lately hmm Let's see. Yeah, I had somebody, I have a friend from AA who was asking me about tarot readings yesterday. And then she just randomly asked me if I was a Rosicrucian. And I was like, no, but I've always been interested. Like it just, that path wasn't the path for me, but I like really wanted that to be the path for me for a minute because I just love the Rosicrucian, like Christian mysticism. And I love the work that they do. So I was, and then she like accidentally called me and was like, I have a friend here that has some questions for you. And so the friend was 
keeps coming up with all these like Rosicrucian synchronicities. And so I was able to be of service to her yesterday where it was just like, just totally out of the random that this person from AA is asking me about Rosicrucianism. And then I'm able to like help this person with, with my knowledge. And so I find that the synchronicities that come into my life are, they're more like other people's synchronicities that I end up becoming like a vessel to helping them rather than like, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. You're like a synchro magnet. Like you're, you're other people's synchros cause you have some piece of information that they need. And, and I love that you said that cause I think podcasts work in that way where people find them at just the right time you know like because once i put the episode out there it's just hanging out on the internet waiting for someone to come across and yeah i mean that's how you and i got in touch i'm sure and and of course you have your own show which you mentioned earlier and that will be linked in the description but when it comes to your podcast i gotta say it's very interesting i like the artistic approach it's poetic it's informative and you take people through this information and it feels like a meditative podcast. I'll say that you have some nice music in the background, birds chirping, unless that was from the window, I couldn't tell. But either way, do you time your podcast with this in mind the same way you would do like a, a spell or a working? Sometimes, yes. And then sometimes I just like haven't done an episode in a couple of weeks and I'm like, I need to just do an episode. But I do try to time it astrologically. But, you know, sometimes I just put it out because I think that's part of it, too, is because I've thought about it as like what makes certain podcasts a success versus others? And it's like, it's consistency more so than about like getting the exact astrological timing, because there have been times when I've done like exact astrological timing and then like not seen like some huge influx, like I would expect. And so I think it's really about just like, just keep doing the work more so than about like trying to like plan about the timing. Right. Well, I, yeah. And I agree. I ask more so, because it's like I noticed like just the volume of people I interview I don't typically do like one to publish right so I'll have like five or six interviews recorded and I'm like okay what day is this one gonna come out on what day is this one gonna come out on so lately I've been putting thought to like okay well what was the energy of that conversation like and which day on the astrological calendar suits that and I always put my episodes out on Monday or Wednesday so that kind of limits me but I do put some thought into that thanks to a supporter who sent us this calendar that kind of makes it really easy for someone like me who's still surprisingly astrologically illiterate it makes it really easy for me i understand my my rising sign my moon sign my sun sign tara's helped me understand that a lot more but yeah i, I definitely think there's something to that with the dynamics of the guest to the host and then like the listener experience yeah, definitely. I mean, I, Gordon White talks from Rune Soup talks a lot about like, you know, in indigenous cultures, it's like, when, when is the time to fish? And it's like, when the fish are there. And so it's sometimes it's like, it's not about like 8am. Sometimes it's just like when the vibe is there. And when it's just the timing. And it's like some days, you know, you just feel like you can't do the things that you want to do. But you feel like, 
some days I want to work on art and I just can't seem to work on art, but I can read that day. So it's like, maybe today is just a reading day. And so it's because we are so ingrained with this like capitalist, like industrial, like must produce mindset that we are so like out of tune with the natural like ebb and flow of life. And that life isn't all about just producing and consuming. That's like some days we don't make art, some days we read books. And so with our podcast too, it's like, sometimes it's just like, does this feel right? And learning to like move from that place of like the inner knowing and trusting those inner feelings. That's like the source of inner wisdom rather than like the outer knowledge that the world tries to impose upon us. Well said. Yeah. I'm, I'm really in tune with that. I, I try to sort of keep that approach with the podcast of like going with the flow and just taking things easy and you know our numbers have been growing steadily so that is exciting to look at but i also remind myself like oh don't get caught up with that because that's not the energy that got you here the energy that got you here isn't like what do the numbers say it's the energy is I love doing this podcast because that feeling, that energy is infectious and it flows through to the listeners. It flows through, hopefully, to the guests. I don't know how you feel about this conversation. I've enjoyed it. Tara's enjoyed it, I'm sure. And and yeah, I'm wondering, you know, what's next for you, Amanda? What what are your goals for for moving forward? I mean, you have your show, you have ways that people can get in touch with you. Are you still going to be doing comedy? And, and like, what what's the next step? Comedy is not at the front seat. It's always in the back seat. So right now I'm transitioning to being fully self-employed as a tarot reader and spiritual worker. So I've been working at a botanica here in town. And then now I'm transitioning to just working for myself fully. So I do virtual tarot readings. I do them in person. I can travel for spiritual workings. I can do those virtually as well. And I have the podcast and I'm also a writer. And so, you know, few things that are in the works right now in terms of writing that I don't really want to say too much about because they're not set in stone yet. But yeah, I am a poet. And so just continuing to grow the podcast and just continue to just do what I'm doing, just working on art, living a life that I enjoy and, you know, all glory and honor to the highest. I love it. What do you think, Tara? Any final thoughts? Any questions you have for Amanda? I don't think so, but I, I really appreciated everything you had to say and, and I'm inspired and in moving forward in my own life. Likewise. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, this is thoroughly enjoyable. I really appreciate you both. Yeah, it's it's cool to meet you, Amanda, and I, I definitely I appreciate what you're doing, you know, because we, we see a lot of people in that part of this country texas the south i mean I have a bunch of friends down in florida feels like there's like a resurgence in this occult and it's it's infused with like divinity and faith in a higher power because of what we all just went through you know like as human beings coming out of the the lies and the lockdowns and all the craziness that was the past two years I feel like whether you're Christian or practicing esotericist, like the common ground has become clearer than ever, right? And here we are breaking common ground. Amanda, 
Thank you so much for being here. You know what I'm going to ask you next? This is the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Does your family think you're crazy for where you are in life? Are they proud of you? What are their thoughts on your journey? Obviously, you said your mom doesn't know that you do tarot, but do they think you're crazy at the family reunions or parties? Yeah, they definitely don't understand like what I'm doing and why my grandma, my grandmother is like always trying to get me to like get married and go back. When are you going to teach again? You know, and that kind of thing. But at the same time, they're very supportive and they do love me, but they definitely think I'm a little crazy and don't understand me. Well, you're at home here. You're part of this family and we accept you and we understand you. And I hope the audience does too. I hope they got a lot out of this and I hope they support you and please remind them where they can go to do that. You got your podcast, you've got a book out, you've got some books in the works. What else can people find? Yeah. So you can check out my podcast. It's called a thousand serious moves and that's available wherever you get podcasts. You can also book a tarot reading with me or purchase any of my art or some magical oils or magical items that, I, that I've been making on my website, which I just launched yesterday, my new website. It's called marymarfa.com. So you can book a tarot reading by Magical Supplies and check out my podcast. And the Magical Psalms book is for sale on marymarfa.com. Right on. I love it. Well, Amanda, thank you so much. And for everyone listening, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. for this episode of the my family thinks some crazy podcast how's everybody doing thank you for sticking with us here episode 209 big shout out to amanda for joining us here on the show you can find her podcast a thousand serious moves on alt media united go over to altmediaunited.com and tune in follow and subscribe to her podcast i got a bunch of new stuff that i've been working on lately you can get in touch with me in a few new ways, we got a bookshop.org that you can go to. It's a bookshop.org page with a bunch of books that are in my actual physical collection and some that I'd like to purchase. Uh, so yeah, go and check that out. Anytime you buy a book using one of the links in my bookshop, I get a little percentage. And there's a bunch of cool stuff in there maybe you haven't seen before. And most of it, like I said is sourced directly from what I actually have in my collection. So if you want to learn a little bit of what I know behind the scenes, go and check that out. I also have a new Patreon-only show called The Synchro Wisdom Dialogue that you, yes, you can be a part of. All you have to do is sign up using our Linktree link, uh, Linktree slash Mystic Mark Podcast. And that's it. You go and sign up. There's different brackets for how much time you'd like to spend you value your time i value mine and i'd like to give anyone an opportunity if they're willing to pay a small fee to have a conversation with me or share their story or ask me questions or get advice really any 
anything can happen in the synchro wisdom dialogue and it's a great bonus content feature for those who are subscribed to the patreon big shout out to everyone who's subscribed in the past few months we're going to be doing monthly zoom meetings and we have a patreon only telegram so if you're in the patreon already make sure that you're on the telegram and in our secret telegram group so that you could stay in touch and get on that next zoom meeting or just be in the loop i like to share cool stuff there and you should be on telegram in the main feed a lot of great people we've actually i think even connected people people who have found each other through our telegram that didn't know uh, they live close to each other or whatever so we have a, a nice little community going on there so yeah please go and check that out support the show we got a bunch of different ways you could do that you could go to the Kofi store you can go to the teespring store those are both places that have our merch whether it's stickers or t-shirts and all the links to that are in the description of this episode of course if you're listening to the show on youtube i don't know why you'd be listening to an audio show on youtube but it's there to get you to find the show so go and check out our Patreon content or our Rockfin content so you can see the actual videos. We got a bunch of comments on the YouTube saying, oh, where's the song? Where's the, what's this, you know, how come there's a gray screen? Well, YouTube unfortunately censors it that way. I don't know why. I don't know how to fix it. There's no actual people, just robots. So that's the way it is. The show's not designed for YouTube. I do have a new show called Esoteric America that you can check out that is designed for YouTube. And Juan, Chris, and I will be going live every Tuesday on YouTube from here on out and Rockfin. So go and check that out for our show Illuminati Confirmed, hopefully with guests as well. We're going to be transitioning hopefully, to live shows only, live meaning on YouTube. So please go and support on Rockfin or Patreon and make that feasible. If you don't like seeing those ads on YouTube, well, hey, guess what? You can get the ad-free version of the show on Patreon and on Rockfin. Uh, as well for the audio ads, we're, we're now getting sponsorship deals where I read a sponsor supplied ad that they give me and I put my vibe in it <clears throat> and then they send me money. So that's a way to support the show. I don't anticipate that being uh, permanent. I think we will reach a point where we get enough supporters that we don't need to do ads. But for now, I just consider sponsors just a big a big supporter with something that they want me to do. <laughs> so, and yeah, if you have a small business, hit me up. I'll talk about your business on the show. If it helps you uh, get in touch with me. Anyways, that's all for this episode. Value for value. Thank you for spending your valuable time tuning into this podcast. And like I said, Support the show, even if it's just a one-time donation. All the links to do that are in the description, so please help me out if you can. We're getting towards fall. It's time to save up, stock up, 
I don't have any uh, survival stuff or prepper stuff to pack, but I am planning on doing a prepping episode that will be available as a Synchro Wisdom Dialogue episode with one of the patrons named Zach. So if you've been a patron for a while, you can get in on the Synchro Wisdom Dialogue. Uh, You don't have to pay the small fee uh, because you're a supporter. So we're going to do that with Zach probably next episode for the Synchro Wisdom Dialogue. So tune in. Uh, And of course, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple or wherever you listen to the show, Spotify, Podcast Addict. Give us a good rating and a review. It helps the show grow, helps people find us, and all that good stuff. And that's it. I hope you didn't notice. I'm a little tired, a little stoned. Shout out to our buddy Rob. He hooked me up with some, uh, some killer gummies that were... Uh, not Delta 8, not CBD, that's for sure. So I'm a little bit out of it for this outro. Hopefully you can't tell for the uh, intro, but <clears throat> either way, thank you for tuning in, everybody. Wherever you are, however you are intoxicated in your now. Peace.
themselves out of service Can't reach me on the circuit uh, I'm peeking through the curtain Nothing is for certain But I feel it like a purpose Wait I'm peeking through the curtain Hardly feeling like a person But the vibes are perfect uh, I'm peeking through the curtain Nothing is for certain But I feel it like a purpose Wait I'm peeking through the curtain Cells out of service Can't reach me on the circuit Certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain. Hardly feeling like a person, but the vibes are perfect. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain. Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait. wait, wait.